Hello, I am Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you have joined us before, welcome back. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends to do the same. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to my next conversation. Lana Hines, welcome to Coffee Talk. Thank you so much for having me. I thank you for being here. I am so excited. This conversation will kick off a series of conversations that I'm hosting with our sisters who are women of color. And I've been very intentional in doing it in this moment. You and I were talking just a minute ago about the fact that this is a time that seems and feels very different. And while never is the loss of a life acceptable, this seems to have been a tipping point and to be able to capture the momentum of where we are in our country and to share the voices of our sisters who are women of color seems to me the perfect thing to do with this podcast. And I cannot express to you how much I appreciate you being a part of this conversation. So thank you, thank you. To get started, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all people that join me, and that is to tell me your AOPI story, because we all have one, and it is one of the most exciting things I look forward to in introducing guests on the podcast. So, Lana, tell me. Ooh, that is a wonderful, wonderful question. Um, I would say that my AOPI story... um, it was probably very typical. Um, I wanted to join a sorority because I was just wanting to make some more friends. And I, I will say that that sounds like we're going through recruitment right now and I'm just trying to you know, get in. But no, truly, um, I had not had a lot of friends at USF where I went to school um, outside of the marching band. And so once marching season's over, you're kind of just like, okay, what am I gonna do? So I decided that next year I'm going to at least try to join a sorority. And so I decided to go through Panhellenic recruitment because someone had talked to me about it the year before. And so I did that my sophomore year and I just went through, um, you know, each day. And I remember just thinking like, I'm just so glad to be here. I'm just so glad to, you know, come back. And you know, that was just so exciting to me. And then, um, you know, I feel like every day I got to meet another sister who I had interacted or AOPI member at the time that I had interacted with previously. Um, and so after you join, you realize that kind of happens on purpose, but you know, that's all right because it was perfect. Um, and so, um, I was able to connect with all of these, you know, really wonderful women. I knew one of the recruitment counselors, um, who had, they did a disassociation at that time, but I knew that she was an AOPI and she was a marching band. And so I kind of knew her vibe and, you know, I really liked her. Um, shout out to Annalise Sinclair. She's amazing. 
Oh, I didn't know. Yes, absolutely. I didn't know that's who it was. Yes. Um, and so I knew that, you know, I liked her and, you know, I thought she was a really great friend and that was, that was outside of, you know, recruitment, which I think is just very practice, very inauthentic experience of what sorority life is. And so, um, I loved that she was exactly the same way, um, during the experience, even as a recruitment counselor, as she was in marching band. And so I knew that as a member of AOPI, like, while this may be kind of like done up a little bit more, like these women are real in this chapter. And so I really wanted to um, be a part, or at least I was, I was torn, I won't, I won't lie. I was torn <laughs> about um, joining AOPI or another chapter on our campus. Um, however, um, something that a recruitment counselor told me was to, um, if you're if you're torn on preference night, write a goodbye letter to each of the organizations, and you know I wrote one for the the other panhellenic chapter, and you know it it was really difficult. Um, I loved the women in there, absolutely hands down. I could totally see myself as a sister of that organization, but when it came to write something to AOPI, um, I, I couldn't even put pen to paper. It was that hard. And so I knew, like, I'm going to probably start like crying right now because (laughs) in that moment, I just started bawling. And I'm just like, well, they they aren't lying. You really do know when you know. And so um, I I decided, okay, I'm ready to sign my Maraba. And, you know, I ranked AOPI and I did not single intentional preference and maximize my options, and I was very lucky to be extended a bid to Alpha on the Prem Pi the day after. So that is my AOPI story, um, as well, or so much as going in and joining AOPI. Well, so I I think there is so much to unpack there because <laughs> because you're right. You know, I have often likened sorority recruitment to a first date, right? Like. I look very different on a Saturday morning in my pajamas with a cup of coffee in hand than I do when I go out to dinner with my husband for the first time, right? And, you know, we are we are all working so hard, and you're right. Sometimes it does feel very inauthentic because what you do learn when you're on the other side of it is that there were cards that reminded us of, of all of the things we were supposed to remember or that, that the chance meetings may not have been so by chance and and while there is a certain strategy to it then when you do have that moment and you realize that is your home it is wonderful when you open that bid card and have that opportunity and i have to say you say that you are so lucky but i feel like we are too for you to have decided on us Obviously, I feel that way. Um, You are here, and I have had the experience to get to know you a bit over this last year. And and I love that AOPI brought you to that and that even now you are continuing to do what you do. So we need to talk about that. Um, So you did have your collegiate experience, and we're going to jump back to that too. But what have you done since then? Because right now you're a very busy woman. Yeah. Um, so I um, graduated um, from USF um, with my bachelor's in marketing 
and about I worked in marketing for about a year and then I realized that um, this was not exactly what I wanted to do or at least in, for that time being I did not want to be in marketing and I started reflecting and I actually went to visit my um, my career coach um, so to anyone who's listening who is in college go talk to the career center very very helpful people and um, Doug uh, mine um, at USF actually was the one who helped to get me to see that what my passions were. And then this kind of sounds a little silly, but the only thing that kind of kept coming back to me was like my passion for like fraternity sorority life. I love sorority life. Like, um, and people joke about, you know, majoring in sorority. And, you know, I just kind of <laughs> roll my eyes at that. But I think truly, like, it, you put so much into it that, um, it, it almost feels like that. And then you get so much out of it that you also want to give back to that. And so that's kind of where I was in my life after graduation. And then I realized that, um, you know, there might be a way to be able to do that in the future. And I reflected back on the fact that we had a pandemic advisor. Um, she was fantastic. I love her. And I just remember thinking like, she's got to get paid to do this, right? Like, this is a job. She doesn't just, she's not here all the time. And I don't know why, but it didn't never hit me before um, that that was a job that you could do. And so I spoke to her and I asked her, hey, like, how do I essentially be you? How can I become you? Because you're amazing and I want to do this. And she um, guided me and she said, well, typically people go to grad school and get their master's in higher education. Um, that's all she needed to tell me because um, I was just like, okay, I guess this isn't for me because I'm done with school. But the, uh, the, it kept calling to me. And um, I finally answered the call and I moved to South Carolina to um, attend the University of South Carolina, um, Columbia. However, I was living and working in Spartanburg, South Carolina, actually where I still am right now at the University of South Carolina State. And um, I, I started uh, really wanting to um, just develop more skills in fraternity and sorority life advising and I wanted to do that in the future. So I started uh, making sure that I was volunteering like nationally with different organizations. Um, I joined the, the Charlotte alumni chapter um, in Charlotte, North Carolina um, and I joined the AAC at, um, for the Alpha Epsilon chapter at Wingate University. Um, and unfortunately, that's the closest chapter. I mean, I love them, but unfortunately, that's the closest chapter and it's two hours away. But, you know, it's so worth it because I feel like any chapter you work with, like they're just filled with amazing women. And when you find, when you find something that works, you just want to stick with it. And so I just, I love working with them. I love the, the women on the AAC. And so that also feeds my passion into continuing to give back to AOI. Um, but then I also um, recently applied, or last year, I applied for a position, a volunteer position um, with AOPI, as you know, um, which was for the AOPI Panhellenix Committee. And when that position was created because of the new governing structure for NPC, I just thought like, this is my jam. Like this, this is my <laughs> calling because, um, and my Gamma Theta sisters know this about me. We were just joking about it the other day, but my nickname in undergrad was Lana Panhellenic. 
And so it was just <laughs> very, very fitting that, um, you know, I applied for this position and I was very lucky to um, be able to serve on the board and continue to serve on the board for this next year. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing now. You are. And, and right now is a very interesting time in the world of Panhellenics because yeah. you, you are immersed in all things higher education. But even in your volunteer world, when you leave that professional venue, you are still immersed in all things higher education by virtue of your seat on our Panhellenics committee. Like, it's just a lot, right? Um, Lana, one of the things that I think is remarkable is that you have had this experience that inspired you as a collegiate woman that gave you this um, this opportunity or, or really just the idea you created your own opportunity but it gave you the idea of of what your passion was and i love that because i think sometimes we have so many things our chapters offer that women do not realize translate into real world skills and i have said that before that if you are the chair of a committee if you are an officer on your leaders council or your cabinet if you have done these things and coordinated these events, this translates into very marketable skills as a young person in the workforce or looking to join the workforce. So I love that it inspired this passion in you that it's now propelled you to where you are and that you are still giving back to us. Now, interestingly, this is a fascinating time to have the experience that you are having because you are a woman of color, you are an AOPI, which means that you are not in the majority in our membership. And we have an opportunity now to hear the voices of our women of color and to learn how to do better. And our, you know, since I came onto this board, but really I can speak to this biennium when we started to talk about what we want the future to be for our fraternity. And we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, education. Um, we have now found ourselves, fortunately, and I do mean that it is fortunate, despite the tragedies that have occurred recently, that we have this opportunity to really capture what this is going to look like in action. And yet, that will take some time. You know, we, are, we have established this work group. We have received many, many applications for it. And these women will come together and create what will become the future of our organization, right? And yet, that will take time. And I don't want to take away from the importance of that work because it is so important. But also, in the interest of time, I want you to talk to me and to share your story of what it's like to be a woman of color in this organization and what you want us to know. And we were talking before we started recording very briefly about even the conversations that you were asked when you went through recruitment with a Panhellenic organization, not just AOPI, many, right? And, and I think it even starts there. And I would love for our women to hear your perspective on these things so that while we are formulating the, def the defined plans and expectations and where we want 
our organization to go, that that there is something that they can hold on to and understand and can help propel their own research and knowledge base. So let's go back to that beginning because I think it is important. And I don't know that that the women even would have known it at the time, which is not an excuse. It just shows the evolution of where we are in asking questions and understanding the conversation. Um, Yeah, I can absolutely um, go back to that. Um, So basically, when I decided to go through Panhellenic recruitment, um, I, I thought that or I told people that I wanted like the, and, and I'm using air quotes here, the traditional sorority experience that you see on television. I'm not saying like I wanted to get haze and that never happened to me. I will. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> but um, I wanted like that, you know, like that fun, like matching shirts. Like I just love, like that's just my thing. Um, so while I'm not the biggest fan of how we do recruitment anymore. I do love <laughs> recruitment because it's just so high energy and I just love it. But um, but uh, that's what I would tell people um, because some folks would ask, well, oh, I'm sure all of us have asked, so, you know, why did you want to join a sorority? Right. And, you know, you give the answer that you give. And mine was what I shared earlier. I wanted to make more friends and that was absolutely true. However, um, one question that really stuck out to me was, um, well, why why Panhellenic? Like, why not MPHC or NGC? And I will say that um, that question did come from a woman of color. And so, however, I still did take it as like a slight microaggression. Um, and I think that the, the reason or a big reason why I did that was because I was, you know, my entire life, literally up until I was 24, um, I'm 28 now, I, and, and I'm still working on it too, but I have struggled with accepting uh, my identity as, as a black person. Um, I had done a lot of work to try to distance myself from my blackness. I remember growing up, um, my mother is very fair-skinned. Um, my Both of my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents are from Panama, but I grew up with my mother and my grandmother and um, my mother's side of the family and they're very fair-skinned. And um, I used to um, just, I, I would want to say like, I'm, I'm Hispanic, I'm, I'm, I'm Latina. Like I, didn't, I never wanted to say I was black. Um, and so I just did a lot of distancing. And so that's why I think um, when someone asked me like why Panhellenic, uh, I felt a little bit othered. And so I, I kind of took a little bit of offense to it. But looking back, um, looking back on that, I almost kind of see it as not a microaggression because it came from a woman of color but rather an inquiry into, you know, maybe we share the same experience. Like I wanna connect with you because I am also a woman of color in a Panhellenic organization. And I would love to know why, you know, you are trying to seek a home in this type of organization. Now, as I reflect, I don't see any malice in that. 
Um, however, in the moment, I was struggling very deeply with who I was, and so I did see a lot of um, a lot of malice in, in, with intent in that. Um, and it, and then also P and M. The next year, when I was recruiting on the other side, a P and M asked me, and so um, who was also a woman of color. Uh, and so I started to see like this um, this pattern of. I think women of color in Panhellenic organizations trying to find others to kind of build like a coalition to um, learn about our experiences. But I also don't think, well, at least I've never had the experience where I've actually sat down um, with women of color in Panhellenic organizations and had this conversation about what the experience is um, as a black woman um, from from my own experience as a black woman or um, an Afro-Latina um, in a predominantly historically white organization. And so, you know, I think that that's something that we can definitely, um, you know, bring forth into our chapters as well, um, making sure that, I'm not, I'm not saying tokenize people, that is absolutely not what I'm saying, um, sure. but to make connections between um, the different um, the different women in your organization. Um, talking about diversity and inclusion, not just in, we're, we're really diverse. We have a lot of sisters who are different, who have different majors. Like, um, a lot of our <laughs> yeah. sisters have different hair colors. Like, yes, that makes you different, but um, not, in, um, not in the ways that we typically talk about, like, diversity and inclusion. And um, not in a way that you may feel marginalized um, and uh, discriminated against. And so, you know, something that I share about, um, or I hope that people will take out from this, is not that, um, you know, I hated myself. And I, I will say that there, there's a term that um, kind of goes around um, when we talk about, particularly about um, like the black student development is like self-hate. And I, I will I will say that I had that, but I, I don't want to say that I hated myself. Um, and so I, to me, those are two very different things. And so, you know, I think it's important to know that there are people at different um, levels of their identity development. And it's important to recognize that. And I also think that we need to be very intentional about building um, very authentic relationships past what we typically talk about, you know, during recruitment. Um, so asking about like someone's major, they already filled that out in ICS or campus director, um, what year they are, you already know that. Um, like let's really get down to building authentic relationships, which is difficult already in, in the way that we conduct recruitment. You're spending maybe a max of six hours and not you individually with this one PNM, like the entire chapter, and you have to decide. It's it's like when we were talking a little bit earlier about um, like dating. Um, to me, it's like okay, I'm not going to spend six hours with somebody and then decide to marry them. But essentially, <laughs> that's what it feels like we're asking women to do. Um, and so I think that we really need to cut through all of that shallow stuff and really build connections based on things that matter. And so maybe it's identity. Maybe it's, you know, what are you passionate about? Not 
not just like, what are you good at? Like, you know, what can you bring to the chapter so that we can win the next philanthropy event? But, you know, what are, like, do you want to be a nurse? Do you want to be a mother? Like, do you want to be a CPA? Like, there are things that we can provide to you to help you get there. And, you know, whatever aspirations you have, we want to support you in that. And so, so I think it's really, so to kind of like go back, I think it's important to just cut through all of the, all of the nonsense, um, really get to know the individual and recognize that your experience is not going to be, um, your experience may be the average experience, but it's not going to be everybody's experience. Um, whether that's as a Panhellenic woman, as just a woman, as a person at your institution, um, in life in general, as a human being, everyone is just experiencing different things. And so I think we have to keep that at the forefront of our mind, um, particularly during recruitment, but even after that, even after that you know, week, two weeks, however long it is, and really um, just make sure that we're, we're keeping in mind what's important. So it's interesting. <clears throat> There are two things that I want to follow up on with that. The first is, it's very interesting that you say that because you're absolutely right. I think that we often, like once you are, once we give you your your bid and you pledge our organization and you are initiated, we talk about let's pair you with someone for study hours and in your major and let's talk about how we're going to build you know, career building skills to put on your resume, but we're not having those conversations when the connection is initially made. And I think that could be really powerful, sometimes more so than the rest of the experience. I mean, we we talk all the time about how you can, it's really hard. Our brains are actually hardwired to reinforce the first impression we have of someone. You can change it. But there is, I'm sure, study after study, but a book I read, what's now been probably three or four years ago, and a a few follow-up articles here and there that say once you have made a first impression on someone, their brains are actively searching for things that support that first impression, which is why it is so hard to change it. And yet, to your point, we ask young women, so tell me how you spent your summer. Well, I don't imagine this year we will do that. So it's a prime opportunity to, to really have substantive conversation on the front end of it, because ultimately that's what our founders would have done, right? Like that's, that's what they did, I'm sure, in 1897 and beyond. And, and I think that's the ultimate goal and maybe we just wait too long to start having those really great conversations. Because to your point, at hour six, you don't put a ring on your finger, right? The other thing that just hurts my heart as a mother, and granted, I have two boys, but I say to my children all of the time, well, I say lots of things, they are young men, but but it's hard to grow up. It is it has always been hard to come of age in any I don't think you would find a generation that said no this was a cakewalk. I always 
talk to them about the fact that it is hard and it's okay that it's hard. But I also constantly reinforce all of the things that I think are amazing about them. And yet I know that I am their mama and they know that's expected. So I think that if someone on the street said it to them, it would mean a lot more, right? <laughs> but because I'm their mother, it's sort of expected. And, and granted, I know I am not your mother, but when I hear you say things, you know, Lana, I look at you and from the first time I met you, I thought this is a strong, talented, just education-oriented, successful woman in her own right. Did I know you were a black woman? Of course I did. Did I understand the importance of that recognition the first time we met? Of course I did not. Because that's not something I've ever had to reconcile in my own world because I am a white woman of privilege. And I'm careful to use that term because as I had in a conversation recently, you know, privilege isn't that you were born into wealth or you didn't have challenges. Privilege is that, white privilege, is that one of your challenges was not your skin color. And when I see, and I'm saying a young person, I recognize you are a full-grown functioning adult, so please take this for what it's worth. I appreciate it. But, but I see all of these wonderful things. And I guess what my question to you would be is, as a woman who wants to be an ally, knowing I haven't always gotten it right, what do I need to know? What, what do you want all of our sisters to know about how we can stand with our sisters of color and support you and, and not, look, we're always going to make mistakes, but not, not force you into always being the educator of all the things we should be doing, right? Because that in itself is tiresome. So what is it you would want all of us to know? Um, I think for me it would be... And I'm drawing a lot on um, my conversation um, a couple of days ago with um, some of my initiating chapter sisters as well. So um, a, a lot of this is attributed to that conversation. And I think definitely, like you mentioned, um, we can't just rely on black and brown people. And, you know, right now we're talking about black and brown people, but also that will also extend to any other minoritized individual identity um, group of people to be the ones who are educating um, those who are not part of that identity. Um, and so I think that a lot of the burden needs to be um, on you um, to, to really sit with, you know, what does that privilege mean to really reflect on that? Um, and then also to do to do the research to um, to look for stories um, that tell um, that tell the story of a black person in America, um, particularly in America. It, it varies across the world, but because we live in America, I think that that's a really great place to start. Um, and you can even do that through like forms of entertainment of you know like like through um, like fictional books, but that are rooted in 
um, you know, history or actual events. Um, also, like movies, there's so many movies out there that um, tell um, wonderful stories, but it's also important to um, to not watch all of the movies that are just about like slavery and like overcoming like adversity. <laughs> I think it's also sure. um, really important to just also watch really great films and television shows that are just black people being people who just happen to be black. And while some of those themes of, you know, what it's like to be black in certain situations will come up in those, um, in those shows and movies, um, I think it's also important to make sure that we're also engaging in that media that isn't just focusing on like the plight um, and the negative um, experiences of being a black person. Um, I would also say like, once you do have like people that you trust and you know, that you're really great friends with, like who are part of that community that um, the black community or you know, whatever other minoritized identity um, in whatever situation and you feel comfortable and you feel like you have a really great um, relationship with them. I personally, and this, this will just vary based on the person it's, um, themselves, but I personally don't mind like telling stories or um, you know, giving my opinion, telling um, like how I feel in a situation. But granted, I will say that while that story I told you about like me struggling with my identity and you know, trying to be closer to whiteness, essentially, I don't think I mentioned that before, but joining Panhellenic was me wanting to be closer to whiteness or get as close to whiteness in the sorority experience that I want, that, that, I, that I needed to do. And that's what I felt like I needed to do to get that. Um, but I think it's important that um, we know that not everybody is going to be at the place to be able to tell their story. That took me 24 years. If you would ask me that question six years ago, I would have given the canned answer of, I would have just said, I just wanted the traditional, quote unquote, traditional sorority experience that I saw on television and left it at that. And I wouldn't have, you know, dove deeper. Um, but I know how problematic that is now because when I have shared that finally, there are people who would tell me that they felt the same way. And so also, you know, if you hear a story from somebody, if you've read a story, I think also sharing that with your person or the person of color or um, who's in your circle and letting them know, even you don't have to say like, oh, I just want you to know you're not alone, but you know, <laughs> sharing the story, I think can sometimes also let them know passively. It's like, wow, I didn't know other people felt that way. That's, that's awesome. Um, and just being there to listen, um, trying to constantly be conscious of what it means to be a white person in America. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, um, like white, part of white privilege is not essentially not having to even think about your race um, most of your life. <laughs> and I think right now, there are a lot of people who are in their feelings, so to speak, because it's finally being called into not called into question but brought up a whole lot and i think that this is just a snapshot in history where white people are having to think about their race when you know black people you know asian you know asian you can also say asian americans are or i'll just say asian people because maybe they you know are not um you know citizens so just people in general who are just non-white 
um, you know, Latinx um, people, like, it's, it's difficult. And uh, you're constantly thinking, like, okay, I had a really bad situation um, happen to me, um, experience at this, at a Starbucks or at the mall or, you know, what have you. And you have to wonder, is that because, you know, I'm a woman? Is that because I'm uh, a person of color? Is that because I'm a woman of color? And you, you're constantly asking yourself, like, or is it just because that person's a jerk? Like, it could very much be that, but... So the reason that I think this is fascinating is you just referenced Starbucks. And I love a good Starbucks. There is not one for many, many miles around me. So when I go, I enjoy every sip. And I have to tell you that I, the other day, and I, I, we have a great Starbucks. And the women are always, and I say the women, the men tend to be very quiet that work there. <laughs> the women are always so pleasant and they just weren't. You just they were probably having a bad day. You know, they've reopened after a pandemic. Nobody can sit down. It's just it's a process, right? And and she wasn't super pleasant. So much so that when I got that random little, how was your experience today? I deleted that message because the experience was not stellar. And I just did not need to share that with them because everyone has a bad day, right? And and I walked out of the Starbucks and I thought, hmm. Well, the coffee tastes okay, but she was obviously not in a good place today. It never crossed my mind. I never thought about my whiteness. I never thought about that it could have had anything to do with me and my grande peppermint mocha that I still get in the middle of summer. Don't judge. And and I I find it just tremendously disheartening and yet eye-opening, that I walk away from what is probably a very similar experience because someone else is having a bad day and it never dawns on me that, that it could have been a part of me. Now, part of that's I've got somebody in my ear half the time or the children are chatting on the other side or whatever, but, but it is, that is not something that I have to deal with. And it must become exhausting. And that, and that's at a place that is designed to create that third space. Isn't that what they call that? It's not your home. It's not your work. It's the third space of comfort. And, and then you take that and, and make it all of the other places that you go. And then you think about these people that we just lost and anybody who heard that video you can't listen to it without crying. And I've never walked out of a convenience store or taken a run or been lying asleep in my bed and worried about whether or not I would, I would still be breathing less than nine minutes later. It is, it is so discouraging because it's not new. This is not a... You and I talked a little bit before about this seems to be at the forefront of so much conversation, and yet these are not the only three, and they they should never have happened. 
And yet it's, it is a, and I'll say a fight. It is a fight that people of color have had to fight for years. And I feel like only just now, and I know that there have been allies and activists and advocates for years all across all communities, but that now it seems to be different. It seems to be personal. And I, I hope some of that is that because in these last 20 years, since I have been volunteering, that with the advent of social media and opportunities to further connect, we have built relationships that that we wouldn't have been able to have and that that has created an environment of intolerance now, even if we didn't know we were tolerating it before. And for those who knew, shame on you. And, and it is... It makes me tired for you. And I can only imagine what that means about how tired you are. I mean, is it something that you truly worry about every day? I mean, it is something that you have to, it is just a part of who you are, is it not? You don't get to just walk down the street or into a department store or out of a convenience store, do you? Um, I think after a while, it, it just becomes kind of like white noise in the background. And then a lot of times, you know, then you will think about it again. Um, but it, it just becomes kind of like second nature of just, you know, second guessing um, a lot of your interactions with people and the experiences that you have. And you're absolutely right. It's It's exhausting to think like, um, it's exhausting to think, uh, especially like when you when we're when we're talking about like um, like jobs and um, like career um, development or not development. I'm sorry, like just rising in your career and um, elevation. Like you just never know. Is it because like if you didn't get the the job, if you didn't get the promotion, is it because of the color of your skin? Is it because you were, you know, um, you were bossy when you were just being a leader? Um, is it because you're aggressive um, because you were just angry about something, but you're a black woman and because now you have a little bit more bass in your voice, like when you're expressing your frustration, um, you're coming off as aggressive and angry and, you know, and then people don't like that. And so, so yes, it's, it's a very exhausting and to kind of like tie actually that back to your question before as well about like how sisters and just people in general can be allies is, um, I'd say two things. One, it, because it is exhausting, like I would love to share that, that exhaustion. And I think that we, we as people, and I say we because I draw a lot of my feelings um, towards how I feel like like men and then white people should behave from my my identities of privilege. So being like somebody who identifies as like heterosexual or somebody who identifies as cisgender, um, you know, like I I try to sit in those feelings. And, you know, when I am confronted with, like, bigotry, homophobia, 
I make sure that I say something every single time because if they feel comfortable to say that around me, somebody who does not identify as part of that community, you know, I can only imagine what just just the, the hatefulness that they are harboring inside and they probably never, hopefully, they would never say that to somebody of that identity. But I think that just shows, um, we just need to show that it's not going to be tolerated anywhere. And so I have never personally experienced a lot of um, direct racism, but I am sure that I've definitely been impacted by it. And my hope is that when it has been shown around others, who don't identify as black, that they've said something, that they've called it out and said it wasn't okay. And so I think that um, we need to be comfortable in being uncomfortable. Um, we need to get with that very quickly because it, people aren't going to be, you know, very upfront or you know, upfront racist, um, upfront, you know, homophobic, um, transphobic. Um, it's going to happen behind a lot of closed doors, and if you're if you're privileged enough to be behind those closed doors with them, you need to say it's not okay. And um, also another thing that um, our sister Mikai had said in our our call before. Um, so I, I just wanted to say her that this is coming from her because we all loved it, and I wanted to shout her out. Is that we can't be afraid to let those people go. As, yes. as an individual, as an organization, as a society. Like, if we need to cut people out because of their racism, because of their homophobia, because of their um, ableism, like all these different things, we need to not be afraid to do that because there are so many more people, I believe, in who, who are in the right, who are on the right side of history who will support the organizations that stand up against those injustices um, and prejudices and discrimination that it will completely, maybe not completely, but it will very much outweigh um, the, the influence of those who are still stuck in the past and cannot see past their own pride or whatever that hate is um, or wherever it's coming from. So those are my two things. Well, and, and I, yes, yes. And the power of those words, you know, we are taught and we teach our children from a very young age, the power of words that if you, if you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all. You know, just, just how impactful that you can never take something back once it is spoken. And, and just knowing that saying something is impactful and powerful and serving as an ally. And it's so simple to do. And it's interesting because as you were talking, I thought back to that meme and there were several different versions of it going around and it's a little girl and she's got this big, huge crown on her head. And, and it says at the top, you will be too much for some people. And at the bottom it says, those aren't your people. And if saying something is being too much, then you're right. Then I have to, I will speak for myself, but I hope I'm speaking for all who know me. If that's too much, then, then I have to let those people go because those truly would not be my people. 
And so I have to ask you because you, you, I think that you have embraced more of your blackness and of who you are. You certainly, and if, and if that is not true, feel free to say you are wrong lady and, and I'm not there yet. Um, but Lana, I, I see you and hear you and think what a role model that you are for all people particularly women and in in my world up until recently my conversation with my boys has been and and i have always used actually the white part as well you are young white men in america set an example and don't just invite the women to the table hold the door open for them to walk through into the room right and I have said that, and it, you know, even when we talk about whether, and, and this is not intended to be a political statement of any kind coming up, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point between now and the fall, but, but, but I even, you know, when we talk about women in politics, women in leadership, women in business, women in the Fortune 500s, you know, I have always gone back to this with my children being, you know, you are men and you are white men. You have a privilege that comes with that. Use it for good. And this past week, I said, okay, I need to make, I need to make something very clear. <laughs> they said, what? And I said, you know, when I say use this for good, that extends to all people, not just women. It's, and, and I said, particularly with this, I'm like, people of color, women, yes, women of color, you know, but, but all people, all things, like be good people, set an example in the world, be kind, like, like if you do nothing else in life, you will have made me proud as a mother that you have put kindness back in the world and that you get a job and don't live on my sofa. That is the second part of that for the record. But, but I think that then knowing what that looks like and to understand that it is as simple as saying something so that a woman like you who sets an example not just for women but for women of color in particular to own that and to give you strength in owning that i feel like is as much my responsibility as it is anyone's and knowing that there's a role i can play in it is tremendously helpful. But now I'm gonna ask you a, a question and we did not talk about this in advance, so you can get back with me if you like. But, but you know, people will ask questions. You have said you will share your stories. What are the questions we don't need to ask? Like, what are the questions? Are you like, lady, Google it. <laughs> like, do better. Let's see. Um, because I know they have to be out there. Yeah, they, they absolutely are. Right? Um, I'd say a lot of them just kind of just like just stem around a lot of microaggressions just like oh can I touch your hair uh, I was watching like a video the other day um uh, oh actually I'm not a video I'm sorry I was I was watching the um the the talk from one of our Panhellenic um organ organizational friends and it was it was awesome because they shared that um, they had, they're, they're in a, obviously, predominantly historically white sorority, and they had shared that they had taken out their braids, they had, like, gone to, um, or, you know, somewhere in the house, and then another sister was just, like, 
you know, very confused as to like what happened to your hair kind of thing. And so essentially just asking about black women's hair um, or black men's hair too, um, because I think that those are things that you can definitely Google. If Again, if you have a really, if you have a good relationship with the person, you can definitely ask, um, particularly if you've um, already, you know, try to look it up, try to find things. But I also believe that you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know something, you're not going to know what to, you know, put into Google to find it. So I am fine with like, I'm fine with that kind of stuff. If it's like not from someone I don't really know, like that, <laughs> um, or I don't really know um, what's in their heart. If I don't know their heart, I I'm not exactly sure where this is coming from. And so there's that aspect of it. But that's one. Um, another, um, like, jokes that are in the form of questions. So, like, oh, like, why do you speak so eloquently? Uh, or, like, um, oh, you speak such great, you know, English. Or And it's just, like, what? <laughs> literally last year, I thought I had moved past this, but I'm also in South Carolina. Um, that was no shade of South Carolina, but wow. <laughs> Um, but I'm in the deep south is what I mean, where I, I thought, okay, I will, I'm sorry, I'll preface with this. Um, when I, I, I grew up in Florida, when I moved to South Carolina, I was very, very scared because I had only seen things about South Carolina, and so I thought it would be very, very racist. Um, and so when I got here, I was very pleasantly surprised. So I will compliment South Carolina because I have not had the experience that I thought that I would have, and that's a very good thing. Um, and so what I what I mean to say is that this kind of backed up a little bit of what I thought that South Carolina was. And so I was just in the, the line for McDonald's and I placed my order at the little, the screen, and then I drive up and um, I go to pay and she's like, wow, I thought you were white. It's like, oh, Lana, she did not. I swear, she oh. said, I thought you were white. And the way that she, the way that it kind of came off, and you know, when people say or ask those types of questions, it, it, under, it, it comes off as like a kind of like a compliment. Um, and that's what microaggressions are a lot of the times. They're like backhanded compliments of that prop up whiteness as being what you should aspire to be, um, which I think is also why I had a lot of issues growing up and, you know, still struggle with that. And I do want to also add to that. Um, my mother, I don't think my mother had anything to do with those feelings. I don't know where it came from. I, the only thing I can think is society because my mother was never afraid to say that she was a black woman. My grandmother was never afraid to say that she was a black woman. Even though when you look at them, I didn't think that they, they didn't have to identify as black women, but they chose to. And I think that actually helped me later in life to appreciate my blackness. Shout out so to mom and grandma. Yeah. Very grateful for that. But yeah, those are just, you know, some of those um, things to like not to say. Um, but other than that, I'm sure there are so many. Um, but I am blanking right now. But those are like the big ones that I'm always just like 
Well, I promise you I will never ask about your hair. Even though I think that you know my heart, it just never would dawn on me to ask any woman. I mean, outside of complimentary new style, I can be complimentary about hair, but I've never, ever, I don't know. I don't know. Lana, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, it is not lost on me that you probably had to take a minute before accepting my invitation to do this. And I want you to know that I hope everyone here listens and learns and takes something away with it and uses their voice to support our women of color and to make our organization a place where, where women of color are welcome. That not only do we open the doors, but that we invite them in. Because I truly believe that each person's perspective makes us stronger as an organization. You know, we wouldn't be here without the original four if they had all been the same. We know that story and we know that three of our founders, you know, took the leap because of the one to stand in solidarity and support and by her side and to magnify and amplify her voice and her actions. Um, shout out to Stella and the girls, right? And if anything, that has set the example for what all of us should be doing now. To me, it is such a parallel in history of an opportunity that we have to create the example and, and out of nothing, these four women then came together and built AOPI. So I hope that in 5, 10, 15, and 20 years from now, that our members will look back and say, this was the turning point, and they built what we now have. So thank you for being a part of it. I think you are an amazing sister and friend, and I look forward to learning more from you and to the years that we have ahead. And to all of you out there listening, thank you. And until next time, stay safe and be well. Mm -hmm.